have such sights to show you. Popping the Scary Horror Podcast here. I'm your host, Cole, and with me as always, I have my good friend and co-host, Aaron. How do you do? I do. Ooh, you do. I do, I do, I do. You do. How scooby-dooby-doo. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, so um, I think with the current weather uh, getting really cold right now, <laughs> it's the uh, kind of perfect feeling overall for the next movie we're going to watch today, which is Stanley Kubrick's 1980 hit, The Shining. Mm-hmm. And I know we discussed this afterwards, uh, kind of similar with Alien, but you also watched The Shining. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like movies enough that I've watched most of Kubrick's discography, well, so it's just, I don't think discography is the right yeah. word. Yeah. So what do you think of just Stanley Kubrick as a director and filmmaker? As a person? Yeah. He's an asshole. Yeah. As a director? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's excellent. Yeah, I mean, he makes great movies. I mean, mm-hmm. Stanley Kubrick makes uh, deep, you know, cinematic masterpieces. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's adapting a Stephen King novel, which is just like the, the all, you just check all the boxes for a successful film. You're like, all right. Mm-hmm. If you, if you are a filmmaker and you're like, gee golly whiz, I don't know what I can do to just rake in a bunch of awards, you just have to pick up a Stephen King novel and mm-hmm. turn it into a movie. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that adaptations as a whole for me are very hit and miss. Because mm-hmm. personally, whenever it comes to an adaptation, I'm not looking for a verbatim by the book every single thing in the pages in the movie. Right, right, right. However... What I do want is a good translation of it, something Mm -hmm. that I feel like takes things from the book, and if they change it, it could possibly be for the better, potentially, or it just works better in a cinematic sense as opposed to a written in a novel sort of stance, because... Um, personally, I think there's nothing wrong with making changes with a, uh, novel to a movie. However, you're going to have that direct comparison to do back and forth, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's definitely interesting that Stanley Kubrick was interested in doing an adaptation of The Shining from Stephen King. And I mean, obviously, because you've seen it and again, you weren't watching it because it's like, oh man, it's a horror film. I'm going to check this out here. It was just more so of the critical acclaim it has behind it that you sought it out. And did you ever have any kind of uh, preconceived notions before you watch it or any feelings that you had whenever you first watched the film? Oh yeah, like the, so like I guess the two things that I knew of just pop culture wise going in was a. was here's Johnny, you know, mm-hmm. like cutting through uh, with the axe and the door. Um, and then the the part with the twins and the sort of river of blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, those are like the two mm-hmm. things I had kind of seen beforehand but didn't have any context for. Yeah. Um, and then the movie gave context for. I will say this is a film I've only seen once, and I watched it in my college, so I don't remember everything about it. Mm-hmm. But it is, um, I mean, it's such a good movie that it's like... Um, 
I, I feel like I do have um, moments that are sort of seared into my memory. So. No, definitely for sure. Um, with me, um, whenever it came to The Shining, it was very present from me at an early age, but not in the way that you think. Mm -hmm. Really, my first exposure to anything related to The Shining was the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror <laughs> that they had. Yeah. And they had like the parody where Homer's basically uh, trapped up at the... Uh, overlook hotel with his family mm -hmm. and then he starts to go insane and basically just start copying scenes from the movie and just making jokes right. and as a kid i thought it was hysterical but i never really got into context of oh this is based on an actual movie mm -hmm. and obviously being a little kid i was definitely not even going to get away with uh watching <laughs> the shining right. i was already kind of you know playing it dangerous watching the simpsons over at my friend's mm -hmm. house but Whenever I did finally get old enough to watch the film, um, it was definitely a crazy experience and one that I've gone back to on multiple occasions. Yeah. Like I showed my wife the movie. And so I'm really excited to go back. It's been like a while since I've seen it. And it's just one of those films I'm like, man, I really want to watch The Shining. So mm -hmm. whenever I was lining up the episode specifically, I was like, okay, we're getting to the winter months. I think now's a perfect time to kind of pull the trigger yeah. on um, being able to talk about The Shining and watching it again and just getting that good old refresher and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, good stuff. It's good stuff. I think uh, yeah. I, I, whenever I watched it in college, I watched it under the uh, context that I was I was going to be a writer one day. And Ooh. so it was... Um, it was interesting to have that sort of comparison mm -hmm. with the main character and the all work and no play makes Johnny a dull boy. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, I've long abandoned those dreams, but <laughs> uh, just like some other dreams, I guess, are long abandoned in, uh, in the frigid north of this movie. But it'll be interesting to watch it under a different context where I'm in a different stage in my life and where I've forgotten most of the plot but remember some of those iconic moments. Mm -hmm. um, I think it'll uh, definitely be great to kind of watch it and again have a sort of different kind of horror film going into it as opposed to the usual stuff I've been showing you in this podcast yeah. as of currently so yeah so we're gonna go ahead and head on over and watch Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and let you know how it goes yeah. Ooh, it goes it goes it goes yeah Snap, crackle, pop, brats, crispies. <laughs> um, yeah, so we are back from watching uh, The Shining. So, yeah. Aaron, how was it heading back up to the Overlook Hotel? It was the Shining Star. Was, That's cute. It was, <laughs> it was great. It's a yeah. good movie. No, it, it definitely is. It's one of those things that, you know, going into Alien, how I told you I was going in, kind of finding out a way for me to hate it. Mm -hmm. I just didn't even try. Mm -hmm. Like, already, whenever it has that establishing music at the beginning, I'm like, all right, I'm smitten. Yeah. Like, it. Yeah. It's just one of those films that, you know, it hits the right mood immediately for me and mm -hmm. takes me in. But then again, I have seen it multiple times, so now I've just been kind of conditioned to feel that way specifically. Right. <laughs> um, whenever uh, I do watch this film specifically. So, yeah, I had an excellent time, and it's always an easy watch for me. And mm -hmm. it's, it's actually a pretty long film, two and a half hours, yeah. but it goes by smoothly. It's a big one, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's one of those movies that 
So every time I watch a Stanley Kubrick film, he has this, like, a style, right? But he, mm-hmm. he does magical realism in such a way that's, like, iconic. And it's always a joy to jump back into that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, this is the real world, and then it just slowly devolves until you get, you know, like, weird people in furry <laughs> masks eating someone out on a bed or whatever. And you're like, all right. You know, it just, it gets, like, it just gets weird. And, you know, every time you, you whip up a Kubrick film, it's going to get weird absolutely um that is definitely it's it's such a weird film because the shining as a whole whenever it comes to it it's a film where people who watch it are either going to love it or hate it or just be confused or maybe or maybe just a little bit of both on each party yeah and stuff specifically because whenever it comes to films and there is like a lot of substance and it's not straightforward and it's stuff to dig into it's very hit or miss with me again i've mentioned before in previous episodes Mm -hmm. donnie darko is my favorite movie and it's kind of similar to that and the shining definitely joins alongside donnie darko Mm -hmm. as being one of the films that just hits with me at all levels i mean if you even look to my right i have a couple of funko figures of jack and wendy over Mm -hmm. there specifically so yeah yeah, i definitely like the shining a ton i feel like it hits all the right notes specifically Mm -hmm. like every aspect of filming just it hits every notch and again i'm not even a big stanley kubrick guy specifically i've Mm -hmm. watched 2001 space odyssey and his other flicks um and, you know, they're enjoyable and stuff, yeah. but there's just something specific about The Shining that yeah. just struck me and has always stayed with me. And it's just one of those films that will continue to stick with me. Right. I think that the line mm-hmm. that runs across a lot of his films is, is just tension. He's really good at tension mm-hmm. and, and that that sort of key surrealism that we were talking about, which which just that you, you kind of touched on a little bit can turn some people off. I think if you're if you're someone who hasn't watched this film but you have watched like 2001 a space odyssey or eyes wide shut or something like that and you're like is it gonna be like that uh i think the answer is yes but not <laughs> as much you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's not 2001 a space odyssey where like i feel like that movie did a lot of surrealism for surrealism's yeah. sake you know what i mean it's like absurd for absurd sake almost and there's like a touch of that because i don't think you ever escape that whenever watching i mean i'm not like a i'm not super familiar with <laughs> everything the disclaimer that that stanley kubrick's made mm-hmm. um but uh the, the line that i've seen through his work is yeah i think that is something that might be a criticism i'd bring up of stanley kubrick is sometimes he just does a little bit of surrealism for surrealism's sake. Mm-hmm. for just, sure just a little weird just to be weird mm-hmm. um like yeah. with the furry guy. <laughs> yeah, like there's definite moments of that throughout The Shining right. specifically. But it's not as bad as like 2001 A Space Oh Odyssey. my gosh. There's not a moment in this film where I was mm-hmm. like, just like, what the fuck's going on? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's every time I watch 2000 Space, 2001 A Space Odyssey, that's probably how I feel. <laughs> I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, I'm so glad I'm not alone in that. I, I've only talked about 2001 Space Odyssey with a couple of peeps and... So I have an interesting story I might as well just interject okay. into this yeah. episode because I don't know when we'll ever talk about Slatter. that, if ever. Um, so I had gotten it on disc from Netflix, like back whenever they would mail the disc in. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of going through a similar thing you were where I'm like, I need to watch all the classic films, all yeah. the films you see where they make references to everything. So 2001 Space Odyssey was 
one of them. Well, I had it for a while, you know, because it was one of those things of like, oh, you know, I'll get to watching it. Mm -hmm. I woke up like, I don't know if I had a nightmare or something, but it was like one, two, three a.m. It was like that. It was like that that time of night where even if you've been awakened at that time or you've just stayed awake up to that point, it's like that weird hour specifically. And for some reason, with my sleep-deprived mind after waking up, I'm like, man, I feel like watching a movie. Mm -hmm. I'm going to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey. (laughs) That's the perfect time to watch that movie. (laughs) Dude, I have not watched it since then. (laughs) Because towards the end, it's just like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. It's like three different movies mashed into one movie. They just jump around time periods. Mm-hmm. And, and none of it, like, it's all it's all connected through a very loose yeah. strain. And yeah, it's a, that's a trip. Yeah. But what we're talking about is The Shining. Oh yeah, no, with, get this bad boy yeah, back on track. With Knack Jickelson <laughs> and Jelly Shuval. <laughs> yeah, we can... Um, Talk about the actors. I might as well give a premise of the yeah. overall story What's first the movie before. About? Yeah, so as Aaron's mentioned before, this is a adaptation of Stephen King's novel, The Shining, that mm-hmm. he wrote. And um, interesting tidbit, I might as well throw in here. I guess whenever it came to Stanley Kubrick, uh, obviously you know this. He's an interesting cat. Yeah, you know, had a certain way about doing things specifically. But I works. guess whenever he was looking for inspiration or something to do his movie. He wanted to do an adaptation, mm-hmm. and so he would look at books and then read a couple pages. If he didn't like it, he just threw it. <laughs> yeah, like did that. And I guess, um, I guess one of the assistants specifically said, um, whenever she heard the thudding stop, she walked in and saw that he was looking at The Shining specifically. <laughs> so how he takes the story specifically because there are subtle differences uh between the novel and the movie is that um jack torrance is hired to watch the overlook hotel which closes during the winter months specifically because the weather gets so terrible up there that mm-hmm. it would cost the hotel way more money for maintenance trying to keep it all down yeah, so they close it really high in the colorado mountains and the rockies or whatever absolutely so they close it from like the end of october and don't open till like may 1st and because he's a writer he's like heck this is great mm. i can be secluded no distractions or anything i can write the story specifically and i'll bring my wife and kiddo up specifically and so, um, even though um, Danny has a little bit of uh, second thoughts about it due to mm-hmm. his friend uh, Tony, who is his imaginary friend yes, that Danny's speaks the to child, yeah, he's mm-hmm. probably like what, like I don't know, ten, eight, nine. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he looks like that or younger. Oh definitely yeah, younger, younger. younger. Probably like, maybe like six. Maybe mm-hmm. six um, and then um, Wendy Torrance, who is the mom, played by Shelley Duvall, as mentioned previously. Uh, they tag along with Jack Nicholson, and as they're staying at the hotel, um, it just starts to slowly unwind, and questions pop up, mm-hmm. a lot of unsettledness, um, unsteadiness, that's mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for, um, starts to set in, and you're just kind of there experiencing what they're experiencing, yeah. which is weird again, because really, nothing's quote-unquote after them or trying to get them right. it's just more everything slowly setting in specifically yeah, so it's the isolationism it's the cabin fever as they say mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie where yeah. they all start to get a little unrest uh, or restless mm-hmm. 
being kind of trapped in this hotel that has a little bit of character itself oh yeah and i think that's the thing that makes the shining specifically a special adaptation is it's not just straightforward like oh there's nobody there Mm -hmm. because stanley kubrick does throw in a lot of these supernatural elements that throw in but it's not like so much in your face you're like okay there's ghosts here specifically it dances on a very, very, very thin line mm-hmm. between the fact of are they actually there or are the characters just imagining it? Right. It just dances on that line basically throughout the majority of the film. Once mm-hmm. they're at the Overlook Hotel just to settle in there specifically, it plays that fine line to where even as the audience and even if you've seen it multiple times, you're never really quite sure where to feel on what exactly is real and what isn't yeah and so i think it establishes more as opposed to like having like some slasher or spooky ghost come after you but it also isn't just you know human nature by itself it just mixes this stuff and again you've mentioned before stanley kubrick does throw in all these things which normally would in my opinion throw the story off from Mm -hmm. being told and being coherent but it really doesn't bother me too much. Like I said, I know you keep mentioning the bear <laughs> scene specifically. And although it is definitely like, what the, the hell one, am I watching? That's the one I probably would have cut. All oh, the, yeah. All the other ones were like awesome. But that's the one that I was like, you're just being silly. No, yeah. I would definitely say that's maybe one scene. Like if I had mm-hmm. had to cut one scene out, yeah. probably that scene because it doesn't add too much. Just have Wendy running up the staircase and then just continuing on i think mm-hmm. that would have been fine but i get it yeah. because because yeah yeah mm-hmm. and that's in the overall like the hotel is sort of revealing itself to her so mm-hmm. that's like one of scenes of many but it's like kind of the first and it's just like a little jarring for, yeah. for wendy anyway and i guess with the story the thing that's weird about this film as compared to other ones where it's like oh it's just a killer loose out of camp you know right fight 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 this one we can focus more specifically on the story and the fact that because stanley kubrick has thrown in these random stuff because he has specifically chosen to focus on certain aspects Mm -hmm. um it's led to many conspiracy theories to even be uh present throughout the film specifically because um one uh one actually two of them specifically that are popular is the fact that you know uh they talk about the overlook hotel being built on an indian burial ground and there's mm-hmm. a lot of native american art throughout the hotel and so they've mentioned that they believe that it's a message uh, about indian genocide that happened here in america mm-hmm. um and again this is like fan just, yeah fan theories yeah. that are thrown out specifically and even uh the moon landing being fake because you see like danny the little boy wearing the nasa sweater Uh with the apollo rocket and Mm -hmm. so because of like random stuff like this it's allowed people to really just dig into the story and just keep dissecting it and while personally whenever it comes to conspiracies um i'm not too big on it per Mm -hmm. se i kind of like the more so just more apparent messages i don't Mm -hmm. like looking at 
Because that was always my thing in humanities, where people would be like, oh, yes, uh, the person made the uh, carpet red to symbolize this. Well, I think or, those are two different yeah. things. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree mm -hmm. with you there. I don't think Stanley Kubrick made this movie to make the audience understand the movement anything was fake. You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, that, it's funny to think about that kind of stuff and point out the clues that might support that evidence. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you genuinely believe those sorts of theories, then you might be like, might want to watch the movie again without that lens and just yeah. check yourself. But, um, I mean, d talking about, you know, the, the the red carpet versus, you know, blood or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's very intentional. And you can see it very physically here with some of the shots that they lined mm -hmm. up. The differences between the rooms, the, the, the way they framed mm -hmm. up, and how color is used in this film specifically, since you used that example. Mm -hmm. The red elevators and the, yeah. and the, 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 that, you know, sort of decaying green bathroom. That, uh -huh. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, not to spoil no. too many things, but like the, what, what, what goes along mm -hmm. with those, the mood that's, that's given with that. Even when he's in the bathroom with, uh, with the, that guy, the butler guy, you know, and it, and that bathroom. Oh yeah. Grady. This, yeah. Yeah. With Grady. And he's, steps out of the uh, golden room into this red bathroom and it's like modern and like mm -hmm. it just looks like blood flowing through the wall like, that's what because mm -hmm. it, it's just the white urinals and stuff and then everything else is just like red mm -hmm. flashed on top of it i mean yeah. those sorts of things i'm all about uh i love digging to that kind of stuff because that's all very intentional mm -hmm. um from a director standpoint especially whenever you think about yeah. stanley kubrick who was mm -hmm. so nitty-gritty about the oh details. my yeah no he was definitely a very particular director whenever mm -hmm. it came to stuff and i've heard that he was also pretty dadgum difficult to work with which i'll probably yeah. mention a lot of instances yeah. where that became slowly apparent but yeah like visually like i taken more so again like one of my favorite spots is that carpet mm -hmm. that's by the room 237 yeah. with like the red diamond and the orange and brown mm -hmm. stuff like that i feel like thematically helps establish the tone right. i guess whenever i was talking about like you know oh yes like i'm talking about people that are focusing on stuff that isn't even relevant to the story right, specifically right. yeah Diving so just a, just a... <laughs> into the symbols and not yeah not to the plot that's on the page yeah. yeah exactly so that's more of what i was referring to because yeah the color coordination of the film definitely helps establish feeling and overall just underlying tones that they're mm -hmm. trying to deliver because again the dialogue never really is explicitly on the nose specifically they kind mm -hmm. of dance around it but because of the establishing shots with the colors they're using um mm -hmm. it definitely helps convey that tone so i think whenever it comes to story i think it's definitely uh very impressive that stanley kubrick uh mm -hmm. took this because the novel is a little more straightforward as mm -hmm. this is more abstract specifically and so i feel like because he was able to throw in stuff like i'm sure that bear has a purpose there and has an underlying tone but at the same time like i can't say i hate it because i remember it but at the other time yeah. i'm like yeah too much <laughs> yeah <laughs> like pull it back kubrick yeah that, that might be one moment where i think he should reel it back mm -hmm. but yeah um this this movie has a lot of those sorts of moments i, I love that you mentioned the carpet and um because we spent a lot of time sort of focused at that level uh -huh. you know, following uh danny behind on the tricycle and um mm -hmm. yeah. i yeah. think my two the two things that i would love to point out about this movie that's really just the sign of a great movie where you can sort of dig into and appreciate these mm -hmm. details Two things that I think um, 
the two departments that I think this movie did incredibly well in that I don't really think about with other movies is sound design mm-hmm. and casting. Both of yes. those are just were just amazing. No, um, I definitely agree with that. And I just thought about sound design, even just thinking about the tricycles. There's a moment where they just focus on him, that just the burn yes. as he as he goes over the hardwood, and then he goes onto the carpet, and they just focus on that for like thirty seconds as he follows mm-hmm. him. He just like oh, riding the dirt and silent dirt, and it's just like that natural sound that they mm-hmm. use in conjunction with the awesome music and ambience that yes. they, they pump in. To just make mm-hmm. it that so many, the, so much of this mm-hmm. content is not intense if not for the sound design. You know what I mean? No, for sure. I think that's definitely something to take away from there because um, it was funny while watching the film. It reminded me of this movie I had watched previously called Houseu. I don't know if you uh, know about it. Mm-hmm. It you probably seen a lot of the Criterion art where it's like that big kind of like orange. Uh, I, I always thought it was a fox, but I guess it's a cast with, like, gnarly teeth, specifically. Hmm. But anyways, I watched the movie, and I wasn't really a big fan of it. I know a lot of people are, specifically. And the thing that bothered me was the brash noises that mm-hmm. accompany the film and everything else. And so, uh, Randy, that's actually one of his favorite films. Mm-hmm. He was telling me, he's like, oh, well, you know, it helps to establish, like, disorientation, feeling unsteady. And I'm like... Right, but then I listen to The Shining, mm-hmm. and it has music almost similar to it, but it doesn't grate in the sense of, like, you know, I'll make it stop. Right. It, again, I feel like establishes way better just that sense of unsteadiness, and that's really freaking hard to do oh, with yeah. the um, music they had and sound design and everything else. Like, it could be grating on the ears, and again, it's not, like, music to your ears by any means. No, no. But it helps just, like, establish it. Like, I've seen this movie multiple times, and there's so many sound cues and everything that still causes me to tense up. And again, mm-hmm. it's not even that I'm afraid of watching it. It just has that big, big flowing sense of uneasiness right. going through. And so that's actually one of my favorite things, too, is whenever mm-hmm. Danny's riding around on his bike and the plastic wheels are, like, hitting the wooden floor, and then whenever it gets to the carpet, it just goes silent, and it's just, like, the sweet, like... Mm-hmm. like really light like i'm sure some people might look at it and be like oh you know like well that was weird mm-hmm. and stuff and it is weird because normally you don't ever get shots like that in a right. lot of movies but because he took the time to do that specifically and it really helps just establish the overall tonal vibe of the overlook hotel because it's just the torrance family just yeah. the three of them and nobody else or at least it seems like it's nobody else right. or is it Again, it just plays that certain line, but the sound design definitely hits that out of the park, and that soundtrack is good, because really the only music you ever get is at the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, with like that low synth noise playing, which right. I love a ton, but it the rest is just noise, but again, it mm-hmm. is almost like, has it, that musical yeah. attribute to it. it. Well, and it does, it, some of it is musical, right? It's orchestral, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's harsher strings and it's horns that blare mm-hmm. really loud. It is a soundtrack you're listening to at some parts. Some parts it is just noise. and other parts it is a soundtrack. But I, I think to its credit is that you don't notice. You're like, this isn't the, oh, yes, this is the reprisal of the theme for The yeah. Shining. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? As the intense climax comes to a close. No, it's like, it's just intensity. And it's just something you feel and it's very visceral. Mm-hmm. So No, that's definitely a point. And I think... Um, I think we've hit a lot of the bullet points with the story. Again, it's one of those films where I feel like I could just 
vomit everything oh, I yeah. like and think about this film. Um, so with the casting, you might as well go to mm-hmm. the characters overall. So um, I feel like definitely we might as well just talk about the overall face everyone associates The Shining right. with. And it is Jack Nicholson's portrayal as Jack Torrance. Mm-hmm. And um, you actually had a very interesting... Um, uh, thing you noticed about Jack Nicholson and the roles he plays specifically. I know you mentioned at the beginning, like the oh, kinds yeah. of characters he plays. Yeah, he always hates, like secretly hates everybody around him. <laughs> <laughs> he's never, he's never like buddies with somebody and like genuinely, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's always like, uh, yeah, buddy, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's how he delivers like every line. So like the first scene you see with him, with his family really is when they're driving up to the hotel and his kid's like, I'm hungry. And he's like, Dad, you should have ate breakfast. <laughs> you know? Like, you can tell with the first interaction that mm-hmm. he just fucking hates his family. Yeah. But he's not like, has the axe out and is getting chopping. You know what I mean? He's just like, ah, you should have fucking ate something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's like mm-hmm. always the character he plays. No. Always my number one pick for a racist main character, but that's not the plot point. Mm-mm. Oh, he's, you just assume if Jack Nicholson's on screen... He's a racist. <laughs> like, oh my God. It might not have anything to do with the plot. Um, and that was true in this movie, too. <laughs> He's a fucking racist. Um, Didn't have that much to do with the plot, mm-hmm. but uh, they snuck it in there. Yeah. For some you know, it's, it's one of those interesting things with me with Jack Nicholson's portrayal as Jack Torrance, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I first watched it, I was like, oh, man, he's incredible and mm-hmm. everything. But it's kind of weird. It's like one of those things that I think, like, as I get older, as I've seen other movies, had more life experiences, stuff like that. His uh, performance, again, is super stellar and everything else. Mm-hmm. But, like, again, I had never really picked up the fact that at the very beginning, you know, again, Jack Nicholson, I think, in every role has, like, a heightened bit of like craziness to yeah, him specifically yeah, he's, he's a little bit but at the same time i just almost wouldn't have it any other way yeah, no that's the weird perfect. thing about it um but the thing that i've noticed specifically is the fact that he isn't just like the lovable dad you know that huh. can't do no wrong it's definitely a flawed family specifically mm-hmm. which they do throw hints at very subtly which um shelly duvall does a wonderful job kind of throwing in those hints about him specifically whenever she has the doctor over and she's asking questions Mm -hmm. again setting it up but it's definitely interesting because it's not he's not a very sympathetic character too much i mean at the same time you want him to feel like okay like you want him to be like a good dad and everything but that's just not how he even starts the film at. And whenever that sense of um, cabin fever starts to settle in on everybody specifically, it definitely does not uh, get him any closer to being dad of the year specifically. But it's one of those weird things that I don't think for this film specifically, he should be that good of a dad because again i think we do see it too many times where you have like this you know dad it could do no wrong maybe a couple of flaws and then all of a sudden just goes down there's a turn you know what i mean a wrong bad right they establish very early that like he has hurt his kid before and it's Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where like you don't just like loathe the dude Mm -hmm. because it seems like the way they gave it in context is like he was kind of had an alcohol problem and now he's getting over it and trying to get better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But it definitely just 
they they do a lot in little moments to set up mm-hmm. that he's like not a great guy, but he's not all he's not awful, but he's just like he's a flawed guy. Yeah, which is very hard to do because yeah. again, there's only three characters you focus a majority on specifically, and I think it's really hard to nail the character perfectly to where mm-hmm. you know you're watching this guy who isn't a very good dude overall but at the same time you're not like oh my god i'm so sick of him he because it is jack nicholson he just has that charm of like Mm -hmm. he's the lovable jerk at the beginning but then like as kind of the more darker tones really start setting in and starting to show on jack torrance as a whole again you're not like it's, it's again it's like that weird thing where he definitely starts to slowly bring out like the inner evil with him specifically but at the same time you're not like oh my god i'm just tired of this dude already Mm -hmm. like no you're just there along with him in the ride and i think that definitely helps out it's not like um you spend the majority of the time seeing his character develop because again i think that's the point of the shining is just this is jack's dirt journey he's going through as he's uh basically encountering his demons yeah yeah he's encountering Mm -hmm. his demons and it seems almost like um you know he's he's talking to the hotel in a sense Mm -hmm. the hotel talks back i mean literally he he talks to these ghosts of the hotel i guess you could call them um that are you have to the audience is left wondering like is this something magical about the hotel or is this in his head mm-hmm. is he talking to himself you know what i mean but the way they used that is much more clever of a device um mm-hmm. and much more interesting and engaging of a device than just you know him walking around a room monologuing like i'm going out of my mind or yeah whatever, you know it's... and so that that's what makes this that's part of the brilliance of this movie but mm-hmm yeah, so I think whenever it comes to his character, I think that is a strong point that mm-hmm. he he doesn't need to speak it. He just shows it specifically and you know exactly what he's thinking. You know exactly, you know, there's no surprise whenever you get to the end of the film that he got to where he is. There's right. you know, it's like the breaking bad effect basically where you watch it and you slowly see Walter White slowly become just the entity that is Heisenberg mm-hmm. specifically. And so I think that's definitely super mad props to Jack Nicholson, which again, I mean, there's definitely points where he does ham it up a tiny bit, like even yeah, he towards the very end, <laughs> but it somehow works. It's like the craziest thing for I, me. I think honestly what makes it work a lot, because I mean, this is early eighties film. It has that sort of, you know, seventies, eighties mm-hmm. feel. Um, it's a, uh, it's just in the beginning where he's like in a job interview and they're doing job interview stuff. That's yeah. like the that's like perfect Jack Nicholson stuff for me yes. too. Where there's just like, well, I love that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he's just like, I'm a very lovable guy, but you see on his face, he's just like kind of animated and cartoonish a little bit, but also like yeah. dead inside. He's got that that Nicholson vibe. Yeah. I love it so much where he's talking mm-hmm. to the guy in the job interview and he's well, I understand why they left you to tell that story. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, he's perfect for that. But you could just tell behind his eyes, he's like, I just need a job so I can write. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And so that's, I think, what helps the film out is the fact that it is believable that Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. as Jack Torrance, would take it. Because, again, literally, the owners had to tell him, 
look, uh, this guy went crazy and killed his family and then killed himself. And he's like, well, ain't that something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and, like, the cartoonishness mm-hmm. of Jack Nicholson's, like, appreciated there. Right? That's, like, a that's a good way to... That's a good character for him to be in. And that's what I mean whenever it's, like, when mm-hmm. I talk about casting. Like, I can't imagine Jack Torrance as anybody Mm-mm. but Jack Nicholson. No, absolutely. And I guess um, that was kind of, like, one of the issues is the fact that uh, the novel sense... Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Torrance in that is much more of a regular everyday man, mm-hmm. which is what Stephen King envisioned. But Stanley Kubrick was like, I want Jack Nicholson. Yeah, yeah. I, I want Jack Nicholson. And so I think it's just one of those crazy things that just works specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, cause if he wrote it on paper, like man goes to a hotel and starts to, um, uh, mm-hmm. see things that start going crazy. Um, you would not think, jack nicholson right yeah he's not like one of the i even think that like if somebody Mm -hmm. nobody else could make this film first Mm -hmm. off like stanley kubrick's the only one that plenty of people could make a a fine adaptation of the show Uh i'm sure nobody else would think to make this film yes because i think even with the script even if you wrote up the exact script of stanley kubrick's the shining and plopped it in front of somebody they would not produce anything Mm -mm. remotely close to what he made not just because like he's i'm not saying he's the only creative genius out there. oh for sure i'm just saying like the ways that they because mm-hmm. like the, the words on paper are not that interesting right mm-hmm. i think spoken i think acted they're all it's an excellent mm-hmm. movie but i think if you just you know if you cast some random guy to chop down the door and say here's johnny you know it just it probably would come out as a really hokey b film uh-huh. you know yeah <laughs> but it's the attention to detail it's the casting it's the mm-hmm. sound it's the, all these elements that that are really um focused on and made sure to be made perfect mm-hmm. that comes together to make um this experience of the film absolutely and it's funny whenever you mentioned the doors and the line here's johnny which mm-hmm. everyone really knows that they've right. seen the joke so it's hard to kind of say spoiler whenever it's right. just apparent in media but it's funny because two fun facts i learned about that uh, apparently he was um used to be like a volunteer fireman mm-hmm. um and so he knew how to chop down a door yeah it seems like he was doing yeah. that right where he's cutting out that little wood panel mm-hmm. and then reaching and unlock it yeah. and i guess he was breaking away too easy to where he had to chop down 60 doors altogether for that shot 60 yes yeah, wow. 60 and uh the line here's johnny apparently was improvised and so stanley kubrick for some reason was like yeah that'll work <laughs> <laughs> yeah because nobody's mm-hmm. named johnny <laughs> Yeah, it was like the Johnny Carson show. It was just like a throwaway line. <laughs> uh, so, just fun facts overall there. But yeah, so I definitely think Jack Nicholson gives probably his best performance. I don't think there's been ever any performance that like has topped this one. There's some that have gotten close, but I mean, for me... I'd have to rewatch. Because like, when I think Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson, I think of this movie... And I think of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. Uh, they're both really top-notch Jack Nicholson yeah. movies. But. Yeah. yeah. I, I would need to watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's always been on my head. You list. haven't watched no, it? No, I haven't okay. watched it. I, I put them at the same... I haven't watched it recently, mm-hmm. so maybe I can't do that. But I, yeah. I, I would think they're at the same level. I, I'll try to watch it before we record our next episode it's, and just kind of let you yeah, know how I feel. It's another one of those movies where I'm like, I can't imagine this character being anybody but Jack Nicholson. He That's just, terrific. He's just stellar. Because he's like a guy in a nut house and it's like that's where jack 
technical civil yeah. <laughs> yeah um so and i'm gonna move on over to the uh leading lady that is shelly duvall mm-hmm. as wendy torrance and Perfect. for me yeah exactly so that's the thing that's crazy about this film whenever i first watched the shining i really liked jack torrance's character going through it mm-hmm. and then after seeing it a few more times i it kind of slowly shifted to where I was more so watching Shelley Duvall's performance mm. than Jack Nicholson. Not to say, again, Jack Nicholson did perfect. No, he, yeah, like, right, right. I literally can't say anything like that. I'm just like, mm, that didn't work. He just nails that out of the park. But Shelley Duvall brings like a great, great performance to this film and a well-needed one as well. Because mm-hmm. really for the overall story arc that is given with The, uh, the Shining... It's important to have a character like her specifically there because really like looking at her specifically, she has to be kind of the one that's holding the family together Mm -hmm. because again, like Danny is like a little kid, doesn't really understand, but understands a little bit. And he's also like Mm -hmm. having some sort of like mental episode Mm -hmm. that like the severity of which is hard for the family to tell throughout yes Um, but and so she's having to do that while also trying just to be um loving supportive wife to Mm -hmm. jack nicholson who again we've already established he's not like uh dudley do well i guess dudley do right's kind of a screw up uh (laughs) like mr perfect or anything definitely not that and so again and you could easily just be like oh you know like strong woman like she is no like ripley whatsoever but i no. don't think the story needs a ripley no and again i think shelly duvall it's hard to do what she did because she has to be kind of more of the like doormat wife specifically right. while also having to step up constantly to try to do her best and be the best wife and mother that she can yeah. be and so it's a terrible role to be in in real life to have to yeah mm-hmm. to, to be this person that has yeah. to draw the line in the sand for for not only yourself but to have a kid that you believe in more than mm-hmm. you and, and, and to step up yeah. to an alcoholic abusive husband yeah yeah and it's like there's never a switch that flips with her she's like you know i'm a badass now no right no right. like this is like she this is like not her forte whenever she does have to step up and mm-hmm. do stuff which again i think it's perfect i think right. too many films like they'll take it and they're like oh this is the moment where they stand up and do that which is nothing wrong but mm-hmm. for this film i think just having wendy torrance just be on that exact same line works out immensely which here's the here's the thing that blew my mind apparently with uh shelly duvall's performance uh she was nominated for a razzie if mm. you know what that is Mm-mm. so the razzies are like basically like the oscars but for bad movies right, right, or right, bad right. actresses but she was nominated for it specifically which wow. i yeah like and so that's the thing that i'm like what in the world are you talking about? I felt like she honestly gave even more than Jack Nicholson did. Yeah. Specifically. And not to say he didn't try. He definitely threw his acting chops there. And you could tell he was giving 112%. But I think for her, she especially had to do it. Because Jack Nicholson just goes crazy. Mm-hmm. He just goes nuts. Like, you know, sky's the limit. Whereas she, she has to, like, be stable, unstable, stable throughout the entire thing. Which is a very right. hard thing to do. Uh, as an actress and that's kind of the uh unfortunate thing about it is that whenever she did have to go through filming she had the absolute worst time Mm -hmm. with it because stanley kubrick 
was not very nice to her at all specifically which again um people allegedly think that stanley kubrick purposely kind of mistreated her and had like cast members not even talk to her just to kind of set in that overall mood because i guess that's the idea he had for all the actors is for not a lot of people to talk to him so they had that sense of isolation mm -hmm. but it was especially apparent with shelly duvall mm -hmm. like he had nobody talk to her so she's by herself doing these scenes emotionally over and over and over again because mm -hmm. as you know he redid takes multiple times yeah. in fact that one scene where she has the bat and she's going mm -hmm. up the stairs that was shot 127 times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so she was basically exhausted and got sick multiple times. And so she had a lot of friends trying to tell her, like, look, I think you need to drop out of this production. I think it's going to, you know, be bad. You know, mm -hmm. this is bad for your health. And we care about you. And she's like, no, I'm going to keep doing the film. And so I think it's hard for her yeah. to especially just keep getting back up whenever Stanley Kubrick's knocking her down. And ethically i'm very mixed about situations like this whenever they go over the top like just mm -hmm. shooting production wise it's like that scene in texas chainsaw massacre at the dinner table it took like a day of filming like mm -hmm. a full 23 hour shift where everyone's literally going insane there mm -hmm. and so while it is questionable like whenever they start to do stuff like that specifically um at the same time it just works so dang well. Right. Like that's the, that's the, that's the difficult thing about it. Cause the amount of like emotional stress you see clearly on her face and just the words she's speaking because she's had to speak this line hundreds and hundreds of times, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, it just leads to a great performance. Not to say that she couldn't have one before then, but it's like that weird, like line specifically right. it's like that was great but was it worth it mm -hmm. like i'm glad that we have uh like psych experiment ethics now but i'm also glad we learned things from baby albert <laughs> yes yeah it's like that weird line there because i don't want to be like oh yeah i'm glad stanley kubrick put her through hell right. I'm, mean, I'm glad we learned the science we learned with the stanford prison experiment but yeah it never needs to happen again no that's exactly how i feel about it because again i feel like this film is just kind of one of those films that nobody can recreate yeah like they can try but it just will not work mm -hmm. and so just the amount of turmoil Shelley Duvall had to go through this role and again to overall whenever it came out just being nominated as work act worst actress and people are like oh my god she's terrible even Stephen King said they that he did not like what they did with Wendy Torrance that she was basically a dish rag wife mm -hmm. and I feel like that's definitely unfair because she doesn't give up right. she keeps like powering through even though it's not in her nature to do so again because she's just trying to be the best mom she can be and I love that even with her she's not like you know um just she's perfect in every way. I mean, no. she has like her own weaknesses also. Again, you'll see a lot of times whenever she's really starting to get stressed out, she starts smoking mm -hmm. specifically. And so that's just kind of like her relapse. And again, she isn't one to try to stand up. And whenever she does stand up, she's like, again, not even a hundred percent sure on it. Right. Uh, as opposed to like, say Ripley and alien, where it's like 112% like, right. Nope, Nope. Just not having any BS go on specifically. But, yeah, um, every time I watch The Shining, a deeper appreciation just grows on me on Shelley Duvall's performance. And in all honesty, she's probably my favorite 
character to watch in The Shining because oh, I yeah. feel like she has the most difficult role. And while, again, Jack Nicholson, again, is also terrific and I enjoy seeing him, I pay a lot more attention to the subtle things she does. Like, again, even at the beginning of the film, you know, she has to be emotionally unstable, but not how she is towards the end of the film, which is very, very, very hard to do mm -hmm. just to have that balance. So I definitely respect the hell out of her for this performance she did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so I guess we'll jump over because I know you've mentioned it a couple of times, but with uh, Danny, mm -hmm. um, it, it child actors are definitely weird um and the fact that i feel like they're very uh hit or miss sometimes i feel like they'll give a good performance and then otherwise i mean they're just a little kid you know they don't right. have like years of acting they behind don't have them that much of a range <laughs> they're pretty much talking lines mm -hmm. and so there is definitely a lot of moments specifically with danny where i felt like um okay, I could tell he's acting or trying his best, yeah. but it doesn't, like, pull me out of the film entirely, no, specifically. And I think it, I think it's actually really impressive that Danny, for however young he was, could do, like, a, he had Danny, and then he had his, uh, his Tony mode. And, mm -hmm. and, like, there's, like, a distinct difference even in their mannerisms. You could tell when he's being Tony or when he's being Danny. And, like, because there, there are times where, in the movie, where he's he, he's Tony the whole time. Yes. Um, and then he will snap out of it at, a, at, a, at the reaction to some sort of mm -hmm. stimulus. And then he's, like, a scared child. And you can actually see that on his face and stuff, which is probably the product of hundreds of takes. But, you know. It's, yes. Um, um, <laughs> it is very impressive um, mm -hmm. for a kid actor to pull that off. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing, I've heard about this before, but with Stanley Kubrick, he kind of grew attached to danny mm -hmm. and the actor's name is actually danny right. um apparently he grew very attached to him and was very protective of him and didn't really want him to see a lot of the horrific stuff that happened so mm -hmm. a lot of the scenes where he's supposed to be scared of something or anything he's not seeing the horrific carnage going on in front of him mm -hmm. and so um i think for not act i mean <sighs> It's, that's a weird thing about Stanley Kubrick is like who he'll choose to be protective over and who he'll basically yeah. throw to the dogs mm -hmm. all in the name of filmmaking, which makes him very divisive with me personally. Mm -hmm. But um, I think Danny is definitely likable and you do care about him getting out and you do wonder like, you know, how does his uh, power he have uh, going to affect him overall right. and his journey? Because again, like, you look at his parents, you know, Jack Nicholson, you know, he tries to be a good dad, but just isn't yeah. a little bit. Like, kind of, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and then with uh, Shelley Duvall, you feel like she's super trying her absolute best to take care, but again, mm -hmm. she can't even really feel like she takes care of herself exactly. overall, yeah. and so it makes it a very emotionally unstable relationship he's going through, so... Um, you do want to see him be well and everything. And, you know, again, you're just kind of experiencing it through his eyes because that's kind of the weird thing. You're going through different journeys with each of the three characters specifically and right. seeing their points of view. So I think that's a crazy thing about The Shining is that they'll show these three different perspectives that are just going along with one another. And so I think it definitely... Um, helps having like these multitude of characters and again just having danny overall because really he doesn't have like a big strong personality he's very just introverted mm -hmm. and everything and unsure and again it makes sense given his 
how he's grown up and everything right. else. So I think he overall does a pretty good job, even though there are scenes that are a little tiny bit hokey. But again, it really is one of those things that I wouldn't have in any other way. Like it yeah. just somehow works perfectly with this film specifically. Yeah, I don't even know that I yeah I noticed any like super hokey parts just because yeah I mean it's kid actor and I think mm-hmm. you, once you see enough children on screen you know they're not gonna be you know winning Oscars but um they, they, it sold it and it never took it out of the movie for me oh yeah absolutely definitely absolutely and uh while this character isn't in the film too terribly long there is like one honorable mention I do have to uh, mention and that is scatman crothers uh performance as uh halloran yeah the head uh, cook yep you have the head cook i feel like um he adds like it's uh more of a sense of levity at the beginning mm-hmm. while also trying to help danny understand exactly what all he's going through yeah, i actually really mm-hmm. like the way that it was handled um just where you know his parents are off seeing the different parts and they sit down for ice cream and he's like you know how i knew to call you this mm-hmm. you know and there, it, it adds that little bit of there's like a little bit of mystery magic with mm-hmm. Danny, but it, that that is and that gives the the, the the film its name you know the shining you know, yeah. shining about <laughs> you or whatever that he's talking to danny about but it's it's such an interesting movie because even though like that could have easily been the focal point of the mm-hmm. movie and it probably would have been a worse movie because of it um but it's just like a little mystery thread where like you don't even really know what it means to have the shining or what that power can mm-hmm. do or whatever they just know that there's like a link between the, yeah. the, the, the head chef and the boy and that they can sort of like communicate with each other without being around each other and that really only comes to play in a very i mean in the scope of the movie a pretty minor part of it Mm -hmm. even though it could have been a major part you know so not not to give anything away i don't want to say too much about that if you haven't seen the movie and want to but just know that it's yeah yeah it's it's a it's a part that's always it's a piece that's always in play and you're just wondering like what's Mm -hmm what is the deal with this and, yeah and in the end like does it you know i don't know it, it's it's a cool it's it's a cool part of the magical realism no it really is uh specifically and uh i will mention some other things about Scatman and his performance but to add on to that specifically um the film i feel like does throw in this stuff you know like how mm-hmm. films can kind of become formulaic and be like oh you have this. Use this if you need to. Right. Like Use that, the force to guide that's, <laughs> that's the thing about this film. It throws the formula out the window. There right. is no formula with this. And so even though it does throw in stuff which normally they would emphasize heavier that Danny has a power right. and like to use it. Um, I feel like this film uses it without giving away what's going to happen mm-hmm. in the future. Which again, I think that's a very strong point and even with the ways that they foreshadow things some of them are like more literal than others right Mm -hmm. like take for example the indian burial ground you think you mentioned yeah really is just kind of like a adds a sense of foreboding and doesn't Mm -hmm. it's not like indians rise from the ground and tomahawk people to death that that plays almost no role in it Mm -hmm. except to give like a foreboding but one could think you know there might be some sort of indian spiritual thing that comes into play Right. And then, you know, think about that versus the example of, like, 
the last groundskeeper killed his family with an axe or something. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, maybe that mystery has more credence to this story. Yeah. So it's like, there's a, there's like little things that they sprinkle in, in the beginning that, that all serve an objective, but it's not like what a lesser movie might do and just kind of like spell it out. And some movies we've watched, honestly, that are mm-hmm. kind of like, they say something and you're like, oh, well, that's going to happen. Later. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, they do a good job of like setting up the intensity with these really natural feeling mm-hmm. moments that like some of them come to pass and many of them don't do anything except for to, to um, fill this, the vessel that is the hotel with mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely could not agree with more of those uh, points you made there specifically. Um I don't have a good transition <laughs> talking about Scatman. I'm really sorry. That's okay. Yeah. He's great. He's the yeah. Scatman. No, yeah. <laughs> Um, I I feel like his inclusion to the story is kind of good because in all honesty, it feels like um, it provides us a break specifically from Mm -hmm. um, what is going on at the Overlook Hotel and the fact that whenever we see him and he's like, "Mm, something seems off. And then he he serves the role as like a lifeline, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they connect a few of those in there. And I know we need Mm -hmm. to talk about Scatman more, but the the forestry people or whatever is also like a lifeline that's connected. And the the telephones are like a lifeline that's connected. And, and in this movie, slowly, some of those lifelines start to disappear. Yes. And um, like Scatman serves as one of those. So So I think, and he also just does a really good job uh, specifically because again, I think he had a hard role to do just to be kind of like the easygoing laid back, but also has a lot of uh, deep turmoil he starts to discover Mm -hmm. as he discovers the sense of uneasiness that seems to be going about. And again, that's, he's not even at the Overlook Hotel. He's like far, far away and Mm -hmm. he's still having that. So I think it definitely helps uh, do it a ton. Like that Mm -hmm. one scene where he's lying in bed and has to kind of like, open his eyes yeah and like wake like you can see mm-hmm. that he's having a moment that looks mm-hmm. like what danny was having they're both acting sort of the same moments, yeah but they don't explicitly show things like he's yeah. seeing <clears throat> the girls by the blood elevator again or whatever mm-hmm. they don't have to do that for him because you know just by seeing him act that that he's he has some sort of connection and he knows mm-hmm. that something's going wrong at the hotel. So, yeah, I think he's definitely a great inclusion to mm-hmm. have in the story. And, and again, it's performed very well. Right. And I love it at the beginning whenever he's talking to Danny over ice cream and they're sort of talking about the powers that he also plants one of those seeds of mm-hmm. like of, of ominousness. And that's about room 237. Yes. And um, he does so in such a way where Danny brings it up. And he's just like, I'm not scared of it, but don't you ever go near that door. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like, don't you, you know, no business or anything. You mm-hmm. can see he gets like kind of mad about it a little yeah. bit just to like scare, like don't go by there, Danny. And of course that ends up being like one of the main plot hooks of the mm-hmm. film is that, well, that room and the mystery that's contained in it. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think pretty much like whenever it comes to other characters, I feel like there's a 
lot of like good notes specifically i feel like every minor character in the film outside of the three possibly four if you include scab man mm-hmm. um does its role perfectly well mm-hmm. and everything i don't think there's a single actor that i felt like was weak which is hard to do no. yeah it's hard to like go throughout a film and not find out one actor of like mm-hmm. okay you could just i do feel like later on when you once you start getting to some of the characters where you wonder if they're real or not those characters like the the bartender mm-hmm. and the butler I do think some of those performances are maybe a little bit less memorable, but they're mm-hmm. not bad. Yeah, there's not like a bad performance. No, right? for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some lines they do that is memorable, but you're mm-hmm. right; it's not quite as iconic that yeah. it sticks with you, and you're thinking like, "Oh man, I love that one I, guy." Yeah, I know I'm gonna forget about like those two. Those are probably the next two main characters, really, and then the people in the forestry service. You know, those those sorts of supporting roles. Right. I know I'm gonna forget about those next week, but I'm not gonna forget about Jack and Wendy. Yeah. And, uh, and the head chef, who I can't even remember his name, but I remember uh, his face. Halloran. Yeah. Halloran. Yeah. Uh, Dick Halloran. That's right. Yeah. Who's <laughs> Dick Halloran called? Yeah. But... <laughs> Family um, up there. Oh my gosh. Overton Hotel. <laughs> Thank, thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for sending the story straight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I know we've touched a lot on the film specifically whenever it comes to story-wise and the sound department. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I always think about this film specifically is visuals. And we've already right. kind of alluded a little bit to it specifically with colors, but like even from the opening shot where it's like that aerial camera Mm -hmm. which apparently stanley kubrick was afraid of flying Mm -hmm. so they basically said just go film it (laughs) just go um doing stuff like that and just having establishing shots of the overlook hotel and the Mm -hmm. weather conditions outside and just following danny around just everything is gorgeous to look at like it's like I've mentioned this before in previous films where I feel like I could pause it and it's like a painting I would mm-hmm. like to look at, but like it's even more apparent. Like, oh, yeah. literally every frame is like. Are you shouting out at. YouTube channel every frame a painting? Go subscribe to them right now on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> seriously make sick content i don't think they i don't think they upload anymore but uh, they got some old stuff every frame of painting is a youtube channel that i feel like you're just dancing around the name of yeah we're talking about your sponsored plug-in sponsored there. content every frame of painting no Woo! longer uploading youtube videos i don't think maybe they are i don't know yeah um but i think with this film it's visually just strong everything from just the overall look of the hotel mm-hmm. and the rooms. Everything is just perfectly shot. I love the angle Stanley Kubrick shoots yeah. from, whether it's following Danny behind on the bike mm-hmm. or the use of the mirror they use in the Torrance's bedroom. Yeah, um, I think, he, yeah, well, yeah, and that's the thing because it even shows that at the very beginning, whenever mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson is waking up and uh, Wendy's bringing him breakfast, like they do that angle. And they didn't have to, mm-hmm. but they did, and I appreciate it yeah. because I we visit that angle multiple times, right. just seeing that constant reflection of Jack mm-hmm. specifically. They do that with a lot of things, visually mm-hmm. and plot wise. They do they they do foreshadowing in multiple modes. It's not even mm-hmm. just with the dialogue and like oh old spooky cabin up there. There people are gonna die here. Yeah. You know they also do it with like that shot that shows the window that that plays a pretty big role towards the end of the film. Where you know where where Wendy and Danny are going through the maze, and they have mm-hmm. a whole thing where they're walking through the maze, and then the maze plays a pretty integral role later. And it's stuff that like there's not really any important dialogue happening there. They're just like 
showing the day-to-day life and yes. then it ends up becoming very important later mm-hmm. that, that sort of foreshadowing shot yeah i think because this film does take its time and doesn't try to hurry because i feel like some films understandably so are afraid of lingering on shots for too long mm-hmm. um but i feel like again this is just one of those films where it just works yeah. and you don't mind if you're looking at danny and Shelley Duvall watching TV. Right. And they just don't say anything. They're just sitting there normally like any other family would do in mm-hmm. silence, just watching it, just right. taking it in. But it, it, I think it's, yeah, it has to, a lot to do with the details that are in those scenes that they're showing. They Whenever they're, uh, it, there's a lot of long shots in this, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's not, just, it's not just cutting from this to this to this to that, although there's certainly plenty of, you know, raw cuts. It's also, you know, you're following Danny around on the bike. There's a lot of movement there. There's mm-hmm. a, and there's that sound that we're talking about there. There's the color. There's so much to take in with every shot that I feel like is noticed. That is that is put in on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, that it doesn't get boring. Whereas a different film that didn't make all those considerations, that didn't think, okay, you know, when Jack Nicholson's just throwing a tennis ball against the wall, you know, what yeah, I mean? like that could be a really boring scene in another movie. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because of what they have scattered along the floor and where he throws and what he discovers mm-hmm. whenever he walks around this corner. You know what I mean? And then how that corner serves again. It's another one of those uh, um, foreshadowing moments. How that corner serves an important role later. Mm-hmm. Um, those sorts of rich details that are you know with a kubrick film are intentional yes. you know what i mean mm-hmm. that are that are planted there for you to discover and to, to see again on rewatch and rewatch and rewatch is yeah. um is what makes those long shots and what makes this two and a half hour mm-hmm. movie not feel two two and a half hours long yeah and i think that's very difficult to do because again there are like a lot of films like for instance david lynch i really like some of the work he does mm-hmm. but then there's other works like maholan drive that I don't like at all. And I understand what he's doing, but it doesn't make me appreciate it at Mm -hmm. all. I just feel like, again, I'm like, I feel like you just wasted my time. I love that. I love that you said it that way too. Cause there's a lot that's like that where you're, I'll be like, I don't like that. And somebody be like, well, you know, you, you, you must not get what they're doing here. No, I get what they're doing. Yes. I just don't like it. Mm -hmm, Exactly. (laughs) There's a difference there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, the fact that he is able to do so much. I mean, he's mm-hmm. throwing lots of stuff there. And even though there are moments that I'm like, eh, I don't know about that one. Right. Uh, there are just too many that are way too perfect. Like one of my favorite shots is whenever Jack Nicholson, you know, has that tennis ball and he's just going around the Overlook Hotel while uh, Wendy and Danny go through the hedge maze. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at the diorama of the hedge maze and right. it just zooms in. And it's a long shot of them zooming in. Mm-hmm. Just an overhead shot. Again, not needed, but I think it helps establish the overall tone, right. mood, and imagery and stuff that Stanley Kubrick's trying to go for. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of those little moments there that makes the camera work just ungodly, yeah. I feel like. it's and, and Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. especially in all this, all everything you're saying serves my earlier point about... Um, how if you looked at this script and somebody else tried to make it to a movie, it probably wouldn't be that great. Because, it, especially if you just looked at the dialogue, because so much of this is show, don't tell, you know? So much of this is Danny rolling up on the bike and looking at room 237 and, you know, feeling ominous about it or whatever. And there's no words being said there. There's just yeah. sound, there's shots, and there's movement. And that's that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I think, again, just being able to do all that and make it just gripping and interesting Mm -hmm. it's very hard to do and just it works i mean that's about the only thing i could say is 
is that with this film, it works and mm-hmm. it hits a home run for me personally whenever it comes to doing all of that all together yeah. there. And so it makes it even enjoyable. Like even the tiny, tiny things that wouldn't even matter. It's not even like the big visual stuff, like looking at the hedge maze, stuff like that, or taking into quiet moments. But like whenever Jack Nicholson walks down that hallway uh, leading to the gold ballroom, mm-hmm. um, it's different the second time round because it starts to look a little more smoky and yeah. everything. And I'm like, again, it's just like just the teeniest, tiniest thing, but it just helps elevate everything unbelievably. Right. So it definitely is just a visual treat to watch specifically. Mm-hmm. And of course, having that iconic elevator just open up and just fill the hallway with blood which uh i never knew about this uh i'll have to make sure to confirm it specifically but they had that in the trailer and initially the people are like no we're not going to show that in the trailer uh because it's blood and Mm -hmm. you know you we don't want a gratuitous amount of blood i guess somehow um I believe they told him, oh, that's just sewage. <laughs> oh, it's just piss and shit. I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Don't worry about it. I'm pretty sure that's what it was specifically. And so then they're like, oh, okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> like they allowed it. But like, I'm so glad he just used so many of these like imagery stuff. And again, whenever you do see the more brutal moments, it is just very shocking and guttural yeah. overall. And just helps uncomfortable like one of my favorite shots like angle wise that i feel like this is just perfect like it is exactly perfect where it needs to be is whenever jack nicholson leaves room 237 mm-hmm. and it's leaving and you see the door on the right side and like the way he walks down the other way and the way the light hits mm-hmm. it's just like absolutely perfect yeah there so i think it is just master craftsmanship whenever it comes to the cinematography department right. and you know even though this is classified as like a horror movie and even for a horror movie that's like sort of famous for an elevator full of blood splashing mm-hmm. i wouldn't call it gratuitous i wouldn't call it even like grotesque like maybe a graphic you could you know, i could stick that word on yes it. but there's it's never unnecessary yeah it, it's never like yeah it, it doesn't feel like too much um whereas another movie might you know like the last episode we did was, was a very much a torture porn kind of uh, yeah <laughs> situation and it's like mm-hmm. never even borders that it's Mm-mm. like still artistic all throughout so no, I think that's definitely um, an interesting aspect. Uh, speaking of aspects that I feel like you would be able to speak of, since this is kind of playing into it, for you personally as a whole, mm-hmm. how scary is The Shining? It's like not, it's not scary in a horror sense. I never, see, like with this and with Alien, I, I never think of them as like horror movies until we, we, we broach them with this mm-hmm. project. They're like suspenseful, right? Uh-huh. And there's a, there's a difference to me in, in my mind, anyways, as an amateur watcher of these things. Um, so like, if somebody was like, "Is this a scary movie?" If they worded it like that, I'd be like, "No, no, 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 no." But like, there's there's definitely moments where you're like, Ooh, you know, you jump a yeah. little bit. Yeah, there's there's a lot of suspense, um, and it's uh, you know. A, thrilling in that kind of way it's a mm-hmm. little bit of a thriller but it's um yeah 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 i would i would definitely use the word suspense before i use the word horror or scary mm-hmm. or anything yeah because that's been definitely a 
hot topic uh, debate is whether this is horror or not. Because mm-hmm. for me, it is horror. But again, I don't really get scared of stuff specifically. But yeah. it's just, for me, it's like horror in the sense that it does make you feel just like terrified. Right. A little bit. Not even just like scared. Mm-hmm. It's just like you're just really uneasy and you're like, I don't know what's going right. on. And things are just kind of getting way more unsettling. So here's where I might... Mm-hmm. Here's where something like Alien might be more horror and maybe this less in some people's minds. Mm-hmm. Is I think horror is a genre for many and this just doesn't have those genre conventions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It is a suspenseful, intense, and yeah, at times there are some scary moments movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about a guy that's trying to kill and does kill, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it is made in reference. Of, so there are some of those tropes there. But overall, if you you showed this to a highfalutin film guy or yeah. something and asked if this was genre, they'd probably say no. Like this isn't a genre film. When you mm-hmm. think of hard genre, like no, this is a rom- you can watch something and instantly be like that's a romance. You watch something and be like mm-hmm. that's a comedy. You watch something and be like, yeah, like this. I think this doesn't fit those sorts of conforms. Even as mm-hmm. much as like Alien did, where it was like okay, this is very much there's a killer on a ship that's chasing people down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you'll be like okay, even though it's uh, a great film that's there's at least two genres you could slap it in immediately yeah, exactly uh, and this one might not have that so mm-hmm. um that might be where some people draw that divide me i don't i mean the labels don't matter as much to me um i mm-hmm. think you can call this horror as much as you could call alien or anything else yeah i think that's definitely a solid point there do you think it would be uh the shining would be like if they could get past the abstractness of the film specifically do you think they that this film is palatable for those that aren't used to the horror genre? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean check the rating if you if you mm-hmm. don't necess- if you don't want to uh, watch a rated R movie because of blood and violence <laughs> or whatever, then like don't watch the movie. But yeah, it's it's a rated R movie for blood and violence or whatever. Um, but it's not it's not it's probably one mm-hmm. of the least intense ones in that respect in, mm-hmm. in bodily fluids and such respect in violence respect um as it's probably one of the lesser ones that we've watched in, mm-hmm. in those sorts of things it is intense it's sharp but that that intensity really is built by the film itself and the character's performances and less by like forcing you to see guts spill out of somebody's body yeah. or whatever no for sure um well that's definitely good to kind of have because it did always make me feel uneasy the first time i watched it Mm -hmm. but i wasn't i don't think i ever really ever had nightmares but i was kind of a little scared of it a tiny bit because again it just makes you feel uneasy Yeah. yeah and there's definitely moments that stick with you and i think even like so the iconic one that we talk about is like mm-hmm. the, the two girls in the elevator of blood or whatever. Yeah. But those really aren't the ones that would like probably keep me up at night. Mm-mm. It's it's some of the other scenes that I don't really want to spoil yet. But yeah. That, that are just like disturbing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But not in like <clears throat> a you know again not in a flesh and violence and you know hor- horrific things kind of way, but mm-hmm. rather in just like a it feels like he just descended into hell and saw yeah. something like terrifying no more terrifying than horrifying maybe definitely definitely it um so actually speaking of spoilers before jumping in are there any last bullet points i feel like we've talked extensively more so than we have other films because there's just so much to dig into right anything else you wanted to mention or add whether it's something you liked or something you disliked about the film um 
No, I think, I, yeah, the, the points I really wanted to talk about, we, we really have talked mm-hmm. about so no, far. I definitely agree. Like I said, I feel like, you know, it's there's so much here to talk about, which is why people still talk about it to oh, this yeah. day. And so I feel like we pretty much hit a lot of the bullet mm-hmm. points and stuff that is in each category, whereas it's kind of surprising to talk long about specific categories, whereas other films are like, here's these characters. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. That was a character, right? Because mm-hmm. there's just so much depth in everything in this movie. And mm-hmm. that's, I mean, it's just a sign of, of how well crafted it is. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess with that uh, note in mind, uh, we'll go ahead and give the ratings um, before jumping into spoilers. So, uh, Mr. Aaron, could you please uh, provide us with the rating of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining? Yes. So we've talked a lot about all the things I like. I would say this is a very near perfect movie. It's almost perfect. I don't know if I've ever, you know, because I don't usually think about a rating immediately after walking out of the theater. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I've ever seen a perfect movie. Um, But this one comes really, really close. I'm going to give it a 9.5 out of 10. Mm -hmm. The reason I don't give it an extra 0.5 is not just because flippantly, like, well, I mm-hmm. want to give something a 10. There are moments, there are, like, a few edits that I don't really agree with. Mm-hmm. There are, um, and in the last half of the film, there is some pacing issues. It is a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Probably could have easily been even more effective of a movie if it was two hours and 15 minutes. I think mm-hmm. you can, I think you can cut some of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think there's some, some stuff to trim, and it would have been more impactful because it does... First half of the movie, I think, is perfect. There are some parts in the second half that I feel like get a little sleepy. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. And, yeah, but, like, really, really mm-hmm. minimal things to count up. Yeah. I, I do think if I were to rate categories, I would give things like acting a 10. I would give things like sound design a 10. I'd give casting a 10. There's so many things that I would give cinematography 10. Um, but there's, yeah, there's little things. Editing might be more like an 8 or a 9. You know, mm-hmm. that that really just bring the overall score down to a 9.5. Yeah. But, I mean, mm-hmm. just absolutely fantastic movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, with my rating, personally, um, I've told you before there is a movie that is a 10 out of 10 movie for mm-hmm. me. And it's this film. Ah. Yeah, it, it's this film specifically. I even specifically chose this one because it's episode 10. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Hey. Lots of 10s. But... Yeah, like, the points you've mentioned, mm-hmm. I can acknowledge, yeah. and I'm like, yes, I can agree with that. Mm-hmm. But as opposed to, like, films that are, like, a nine, that's like, yeah, like, I personally don't like this, but, mm-hmm. I, but I'll but i excuse it. This one is one moment of, like, yeah, like, the bear scene happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> and then I, I don't scene. count off <laughs> much for the bear scene, because it's like... It's like a quick thing. It's like, yeah, there and gone. It's like, I don't... I won't necessarily agree with that choice, yeah. but, like, and it doesn't mm-hmm. count off points for me. I'm like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. No, um, but for me, it, this is a film that's a complete 10 out of 10 for me, mm-hmm. in the sense that I can't imagine living without it. It's a film that, again, just... As soon as it starts, I'm like, I'm sold. Yeah. I'm sold already. As opposed to even Alien, where it takes a while for me to warm up before I'm like, all mm-hmm. right, I'm hooked. Um, the Shining, again, it's a great watch every time, and it feels like the very first time I've watched it before. And mm-hmm. it's always great, because even though I know the exact beats of what's going to happen and everything else, I still enjoy it and just eat up every single scene, every bit of dialogue spoken, every shot that is taken. This is a film that I cannot get enough of whatsoever it is like just absolutely top-notch in my regard um and while 
if there were like the changes to make it like the perfect 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 film mm-hmm. um i think it'd be fine but i don't think it would heighten it better because right. again the whole ride for me is just absolutely I, perfect no, and so yeah. yeah so it's definitely a solid solid recommendation for me if you have not watched it uh definitely check it out again it is one of those abstracting films because i know there's a lot of people that just like the more straight lay story the mm-hmm. one that's like you know familiar territory not because this film is nothing like you've ever seen like right. i can't really point out like any film that's exactly like the shining no there are moments that remind me of other films but there's just nothing else like it which is why it's like one of the very few 10 out of 10s uh scores i give it so mm-hmm. yeah definite hard great solid recommendation for me personally and also we watched it on the uh, 4k disc which uh mm-hmm. i've seen it multiple times on the dvd which mm-hmm. has like jack nicholson's head pasted on there yeah which i've always thought was a goofy choice that they just put what, his is head it, is it the one oh from peeking through the yeah peeking through the door i've always thought it was a strange that choice one, that one is goofy but i i like why that one's iconic the part mm-hmm. that i sorry weird aside the thing that I probably would have cut too is the scene. This is the the, the part where he's. Uh, I. We're not just spoiler territories. Well, I, 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 okay, first off, we're like a minute from spoiler territories. <laughs> <laughs> Second off, nobody would have known that was a spoiler if he didn't say because he could have been for any reason. Uh, but <laughs> he could have been anyway. There's a scene where he's at the end. Everybody's seen this picture too, and they probably thought it was from Home Alone three. Because that's exactly what it looks like. It's the dumbest shot. They should have just photoshopped his eyes not to be going straight up. I don't know. (laughs) We're in spoiler territory, everyone. 4K is great. Go get the disc if you have a 4K player. It was really nice. Except for I do, there was a little part. I didn't mention anything about this before. I think sometimes whenever they remaster these things, there's some parts that look a little unnaturally smooth, a little too digital, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And really, the opening sequence is the only part where I noticed that, the helicopter shots. Mm-hmm. It's like they stabilized it a little too smooth or something, Yeah, and I was just like, ooh, that looks like I'm watching it on a Blu-ray TV at Best Buy in 2010. <laughs> um but other than mm-hmm. but mo- for the most part really only after the opening credits i didn't notice any of those sorts of moments mm-hmm. uh, and i thought it was yeah really really beautifully mastered oh that's good that's good yeah all right we're gonna talk about spoilers everyone <laughs> talk about spoilers boys and girls so i don't know if we call beep to this part out or not but jack nicholson's frozen face at the end yeah uh yeah, yeah. It, it looks like a home alone movie that's it, my take on it i i laughed so hard about that because i was like oh my god you're right yeah it just looks dumb like it looks like kevin just poured a bucket of water on some guy in the cold and he's like you know mm-hmm. it, it was just like why why that face i don't even i don't yeah. even object to the the shot of him there in the morning mm-hmm. although you could easily just not have that shot too um but like yeah, was that was that really his fate? Is he froze to death with his eyes rolled back in his head and a Jack Nicholson face? I mean, till the very end, amigo. Yeah. <laughs> till the very end, even in death, he is joking it up. <laughs> yeah, it's the Joker, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I can definitely see how it's goofy and stuff. I feel like it is kind of important just to establish, like, 
yeah, he's dead. He did. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely dead. Right. No coming back from it. Which, speaking of being dead, the one thing... The very, the very first time I watched this movie, um, it was on TV. And surprisingly, not a lot of it was edited out. So I got to see the entire of mm-hmm. it. I think the only things that got cut out is... Uh, older lady giggling in room 237 whenever she's like trying to grab jack nicholson (laughs) and the bear scene was gone so whenever i saw it on dvd i'm like why don't i remember this um but fcc probably didn't want (laughs) probably not but the one scene that absolutely stumped me is right after the scene where jack nicholson is frozen Mm -hmm. which i do admit it is hammy looking it does definitely look like home alone thing but I feel like it works fine for the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whenever it transitions to the ballroom and it focuses on the picture mm-hmm. um, and it zooms in and it shows that, oh, Jack Nicholson's in this photo uh, from 1921, mm-hmm. uh, coincidentally 100 years ago from when we're recording this. Ooh, well, not really because it was July 4th. So a little over 100 years. Anywho, uh, but the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's always been part of the hotel, mm-hmm. yeah. Because he had that monologue with uh, the groundskeeper butler guy, and he's like, yeah. "I recognize your picture. You cut up your family." And he was like, "No, you, the groundskeeper. You've always been the groundskeeper." And so he kind of mm-hmm. gets absorbed into the hotel there. But... Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, barkeep that says, "Like your credit is good." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Doing that stuff specifically, just alluding to the fact that he's been here before, which. Um, I think definitely helps a ton. But I also love that it's never super clear to where if you watch it once, you're like, got it. Right. <laughs> and so I think that's what helps add to the rewatchability of The Shining and just mm. the overall enjoyment is the fact that right. it doesn't tell you straight. And even whenever you do understand it, it's not like, oh, I understand everything that's going on. Right. It doesn't spell it all out for you. And it does, does, doesn't ramp everything up in a nice bow. You're still not, you, you still don't really know at the end. Was that mm-hmm. all in Knack Jiggleson's head? <laughs> or, you know, is it? Is the hotel actually mystical? Because, and, and normally you'd be able to answer those sorts of questions with like, well, Wendy at the end saw the maze. Because you get why the kid sees shit. Because he, that's his thing. Because mm-hmm. he has the shining or whatever. And you get why Jack Nicholson sees shit. Because he's going crazy. Mm-hmm. And Wendy discovers he's going crazy by reading all of his you know all work no play makes jack mm-hmm. a dull boy and she's like okay this is like the final straw that, yeah this he, that's he's written you know hundreds of pages of this he's psychotic right mm-hmm. so you get why those two but then when wendy's running in the end and like she's like keeps on running and seeing pictures of dead people and mm-hmm. stuff and then the hallways become you know ghostly or whatever yeah then you're like oh maybe it is part of the hotel so that's sort of yeah. where i lean at the end is that it, there is probably some magic to the hotel but you could easily just say well wendy has also just been through a lot of trauma after yeah. five months of isolation and emotional abuse so like and then you know at the end i saw her you know, husband trying to kill her son and herself mm-hmm. puts somebody in a in a state of psychosis. So, who's to say? Yeah. Who's, who's to, say? to say? No, I definitely agree. Um, whenever Shelley Duvall is running through the hotel, and basically everything's hitting the fan. Like, mm-hmm. everything's looking spooky. Like, um, whenever she's running through, feeling claustrophobic. Again, I love the run that Shelley Duvall has. Because, yeah, again... She's, like, breaking down while yeah. she's running. She's it, like... Ugh. Exactly. Because, again, she's not like, you know... 
just like track runner, you know, <laughs> running through the Overlook Hotel. No, she's just like just can barely control herself while she's running as she's sobbing and everything, mm-hmm. which again might be annoying to some people, but I feel like if my husband was absolutely going bonkers, mm-hmm. unbelievably, and Wait, I don't, it just, it just yeah. works for her character because she's so mm-hmm. like mousy and like Shelley Duvall's just like appearance in this movie just mm-hmm. looks like that sort of like yes. frail, like dependent woman, like hi, I'm Shelley, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, she... I'm Shelley Duvall. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, yeah, yeah. You don't expect her to just suddenly become like track star because she doesn't she doesn't look that way you Mm-mm. know she doesn't look particularly you know survival oriented she's but she's like a you know emotional sort of keeping it together mom and that's exactly how she even when she's running in the end um, um yes yeah, yeah. shelly duvall definitely has a mousy personality and mm-hmm. it just works perfectly and again just for her to be experiencing all the craziness that's going on because again i think yeah, she's really been pretty light on the amount of like horrific imagery she's been, uh, been basically objected to. Mm-hmm. But towards the end, it's thrown all at her because yeah. again, she has the uh, bear sucking off the man scene, as we've mentioned several times. Yeah. Now we can mention further. Yeah, there's more. a guy in a bear mask. She's running through the hallways from her husband, who's trying to cut her up, and trying to find her son, who her husband is currently trying to cut up. And she, yeah, peeks into a bedroom, and there's some guy, a guy in a bear mask blowing another dude or something. And Yeah, and his butt flaps down and everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see those golden hams sticking out from the fursuit. Right. And that's so. the scene that I'm like, why why did you do that? Yeah, and people... <laughs> that's, just, like, that's just absurdism for absurdism's sake. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I, it's like one of those things I'm like, I don't really care what you have to say about this scene. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to dissect this one. We're that's just going to move right along. Well, kind of... I wonder when he made Eyes Wide Shut, if it was right before <clears throat> this or right after this, you know what I mean? If he was just like, people in masks doing sex acts. That's what I want to make a movie about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just threw that in. But like her going through there and then her seeing some of the dead uh, hotel guests mm-hmm. specifically and having the foyer be covered in cobwebs and skeletons and clothing right. are everywhere. She walks in and she sees the ballroom like, full of life for a second and then they're all dead right mm-hmm. and then and then it's the yeah the cobwebs and it's it's like the you know 80 years of decay yep. or whatever and then she's the one that actually gets to see the blood exit the elevator because pretty right. much it's been just an imagery um that's been popping up in danny's head specifically right. whenever he has like these premonitions going on so just having that go on i think adds to the chaoticness towards the end which mm-hmm. i think it's definitely suiting like that's yeah. the way to build up tension is the fact that everything everyone is becoming unhinged like obviously mm-hmm. jack nicholson at that point has snapped and he's going around killing everyone wendy is just trying to survive just basically going hysterical just trying right. to figure a way out and then danny's just trying to run he doesn't even know what he's supposed to be doing he's a little boy right. like he's just like never... well, well he hides mm-hmm. first and this is what i love mm-hmm. about the the shiny the way that it actually comes into play it's not the main point of the movie but it mm-hmm. is an integral part because danny's hidden pretty well uh, but he has that connection to the head chef who's like the last lifeline they have left, mm-hmm. right? Because Jack Nicholson's taken care of all the other mm-hmm. lifelines or the phones have gone down in the storm too. The last lifeline he has left is that the head chef's coming, but he gets told in a in a fit of racism from this old hotel barkeep or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, he's like a, 
uh, a black person's coming, but that's not the word he uses. <laughs> and so he's like, I gotta, you know, I gotta fend him up. Um, mm-hmm. So then, yeah, yeah, it does that foreshadowing of the scene where, where he was throwing the tennis ball earlier and he peeked around that pillar. He's at that same pillar again. Mm-hmm. I, I love the scene, so I'm just gonna talk about it for a second. Yeah, for but sure. A lesser movie would have focused on the head chef the entire time as he peeks into the as he peeks mm-hmm. into the hotel and he's looking around being like anyone home or whatever but this movie showed him established him getting out of his car you know or his little snowmobile and getting into the movie and then they followed Jack Nicholson for so long that even with all the scary music and the tension and everything I wasn't worried about seeing Jack Nicholson kill mm-hmm. the head chef because I was looking at him. So I knew yeah. I, I, the camera had him framed up. I was like, okay, this isn't like a spooky moment where the killer pops out and, and stabs somebody because I'm watching mm-hmm. him. But then they just, they, they cut back to him and they spent so long on Jack Nicholson that I just wasn't worried about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Such that I it caught me off guard again, even though I've seen this movie before, mm-hmm. where the head chef walks around the corner and then Jack Nicholson just turns around that pillar and just cleaves him in a stomach. And because he has that connection mm-hmm. with uh with the kiddo he like screams because he feels you know getting uh-huh. axed in the chest too and that reveals his location so now he has to run because he was hiding before no so like that's how that that plot point drives the movie but at the same time you know you could you could piece this together and mm-hmm. with genre conventions think you know okay so like because they established this early and we know that the head chef is going to help then that's how they get out alive or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the only person that dies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really the only person that we see get killed because right. there's like mentions of everyone else, which it's, it's kind of like a bittersweet thing because obviously you like Scatman. And yeah. so whenever you see him die, you're like, oh man. But it's also good in the fact that like he still provided a way for Wendy and Danny to leave the Overlook Hotel with right. a little snowmobile Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like the bittersweet thing about it. Right. It's like, Scatman died, but at least they were able to get away because he arrived. Because, again, The Shining was the only reason why he mm-hmm. even came. Because otherwise, there's no way they would have made it out alive. Right. The snow was way too heavy for them to leave. And he just happened to arrive right at the moment that Jack Nicholson is finally just like, Alright, good time to punish the family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You're going around. So, I think it definitely... Um, adds to the overall craziness is that you see all four of these characters just moving all around and about and i hadn't even thought about it this way Mm -hmm. but there's two very distinct and separate branches of mysticism that are woven together Mm -hmm. and that's the shining which is separate Mm -hmm. from the hotel right that's something that um the head chef said that he and his grandma had as a child and now he he feels it with with this kid too Mm -hmm. and it's something that he this kid felt before ever going to the overlook hotel or whatever and then the overlook hotel seems to be like acting against that you know what i mean yeah so it's almost like the shining is coming to save the family in Mm -hmm. some sense it's like a lifeline and then the the overton hotel's like uh actively trying to kill them <laughs> yes exactly and, and, so, and those are the two like branches of like magical realism the mm-hmm. branches of mysticism within this universe that like are all that that cross paths no and, um, cause this conflict no i think it's definitely a good pairing because basically having like these two mystical forces mm-hmm. being 
at odds with one another, just basically having like that mystical power just to try to save them from a supernatural force, which is slowly corrupting Jack the longer he stays there. Cause right. it's, and it's not even like immediate, like he goes in, he's a bad guy. You just see no. his slow descent into madness. And there's moments where he's already beginning to possibly hallucinate, actually seeing ghost at the mm -hmm. hotel. And he doesn't like snap at that point. It's just the slow descent. It isn't until, uh, he's at the huge party scene specifically where it's like, I think we lose him. Right. Right. Cause it, yeah, it kind of displays itself as like, you know, he's losing it a little, like he's talking mm -hmm. to himself. He created a little imaginary friend to talk to the barkeeper mm -hmm. or whatever. So that he, cause he didn't want to talk to either of his family members who were there. So what other option did he have, but to talk to himself, he kind of conjures that image himself. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, as it goes on, it becomes more of, like, this is the hotel's doing. It's got its mm -hmm. grips with them. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that, like, it's not necessarily that he's that bad of a guy, but that he is the embodiment of the hotel, even mm -hmm. from the beginning, where they're, like, in the room, and he's talking to Wendy, and she's like, I'm kind of warming up to this place. And he's like, I felt like I always belonged here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then later on, they're like, you've always been the groundskeeper. So, like, he mm -hmm. is, like been magnetized to this hotel mm -hmm. from, the, from the start and his family are just the victims of it no absolutely and th the thing that i find brilliant about this film is they could have easily just been like oh yeah the hotel's haunted it's right. doing all this stuff but it never sells it that way completely like whenever wendy is able to knock out jack and throw him into the pantry mm -hmm. and close the door and then you know grady's talking to be like it seems like you're in trouble there. Are you committed to killing your family now? <laughs> and He's like, like Jack, yeah, if I can get out. <laughs> yeah, and then he gets out. Right. But it doesn't show the door opening or anything. You just hear it open. Yeah, you hear the, the latch being undone. He's like, oh, so like, yeah. It, mm -hmm. it, it, those little things like are like confirmations that mm -hmm. this isn't just in his head. Otherwise, how did he get out? You know. What I mean? Exactly. And then with him like having struggles like being off alcohol for five months and then as soon as he is like finally i'd sell my soul for a drink mm -hmm. and he's talking to the ghost and has that scotch you never know if he just imagined that or somehow because that's a weird that's the it it's it's so hard to put into words but that's just what the greatness is of mm -hmm. it because they have that one scene the very first time where it's just a barkeep nothing else is in the room it's just a barkeep with all the bottles and everything and then he tries to pull out money because he's like i got 40 bucks i can't spend anything on in here right. and then he opens it and he's like i seem to be short on cash yeah <laughs> and then he doesn't have anything next shot it shows the whole ballroom filled with a bunch of party goers mm -hmm. everything else and he has money <laughs> yes he has money he has money he pulls right. out specifically and so it's just a question of what is real and what is yeah. not i then. feel like that's just mm -hmm. that's when the hotel's like taking the most hold of him it's, mm -hmm. it's giving him things that he thinks he wants but mm -hmm. you see earlier specifically with the hallucination in room 237 mm -hmm. that like he snaps out of it you know what i mean yeah like he so he goes into this room. He's already kind of like on the path to craziness, right? Mm -hmm. Because something happened to the boy where he has bruises on his neck. And it's a mm -hmm. question of like, did Jack Nicholson strangle him? Yeah. Or the boy says that there's a woman in a bathtub in this room that strangled him. 
So, yeah. So Jack Nicholson goes to investigate it. Of course, there's a butt-ass naked woman in the tub. Yeah. And he's like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and there's a very long scene where she very slowly and dramatically gets out. He very slowly approaches mm-hmm. him. And it's all very dreamlike and surreal. Yeah. And he starts kissing. And the camera sort of angles and really goes around them. And then he starts to look disgusted. And he sees in the mirror the back of her and just this old woman that's decaying. And, he's, mm-hmm. and he realizes he's, he's kissing this. It's like the classic mythos of the siren song or whatever mm-hmm. or harpies or of all these yeah. these different mythical creatures that lure you in and then are actually disgusting yeah. old hags um and the hotel itself seems to be this sort of succubus but he 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 breaks from that and he's like ah god but then he goes right to the mm-hmm. windy and all them and they're like what happened he's like nothing at all there was nothing there <laughs> yeah and that's just that's just the great thing about this film in particular is seeing Jack Torrance like give in to these kind of quote unquote like his demons and stuff, mm-hmm. whether it is through just alcoholism or the fact that, you know, he does choose to like make out with his woman just because it's just that instinct of like right. doing so. But he's also like pulling back a little bit. Like he's not giving in entirely. It's like even mm-hmm. Whenever uh, he's having the nightmares right before it's revealed about yeah. Danny having the bruise around his neck. And he's just like, I had the most awful dream yeah, that he... I killed you guys. And you could tell he's genuinely disturbed. Right, he's, he's not happy. He's remorseful. Yeah, he's like, oh, I feel awful. Like something happened where I can't. And it's it. probably the most vulnerable you probably see him feel and stuff right. before he kind of, he's in too far. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just incredible just getting to see all those moments specifically as the hotel itself just starts to pull out the worst in him Mm -hmm. as it just kind of overall consumes it to where he's just basically lost it mentally yeah even like pretty shortly before he starts going on an accent spree he's when he's in the bathroom with grady the butler or whatever and he recognizes him he's like Mm -hmm. he's like got this kind of conversation going with him where he's like you killed your whole family and like mm-hmm. you're a fucked up dude you know what i mean yeah like and then grady just slowly turns the conversation into like that wasn't me but then yeah but then like slowly is like when i did take care of my family i did it because it needed to happen or whatever and like mm-hmm. it sounds like you need to take care of your family yeah and he's like yeah you're kind of right and you know mm-hmm. so like even mm-hmm. even the conversation started you can see that temptation mm-hmm. you know and there's a lot of those moments yeah. of the hotel tempting him in one way or another no that's it's alcohol or sexuality or mm-hmm. at the very end murder yeah because that's just the, the crazy thing about it is the fact that you feel like you get to see into the inner psychosis of jack himself because he has these monologues mm-hmm. mostly with the ghost because usually with like his family he's either just typically hateful towards wendy even mm-hmm. whenever he is saying like whenever he's frustrated about you know, he's on a roll typing and then someone comes in, uh, Wendy comes in just trying to be nice mm-hmm. and stuff. And then he just gets furious with mm-hmm. her just because he is like, you made me lose my stride, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, you hear the way he talks about uh, Wendy whenever he's talking to the barkeep being like, oh, yeah, that old sperm bank <laughs> upstairs. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell he's going to be the axe murderer by the end of the <clears throat> So I think it's just so interesting just to see, like, the struggle. Because, again, because he's established as not, like, upstanding gentleman sort of dude, again, but also the fact that he's not absolute, total, like, worst person in the world, per Mm. se. 
but just seeing him slowly just become a monster towards slide. the end. Yeah, worse and worse. Mm-hmm, cause... Yeah, that first time we see him is like in a job interview, and he's like, hey, I'm a nice guy, or whatever. So we're literally seeing him at the part where he's mm-hmm. like trying to model his best behavior, mm-hmm. and it just goes downhill uh, the more mm-hmm. you go through the film, where he, yeah. where he loses having to do that. And then, yeah, also interesting to note that mm-hmm. like pretty much everyone in this film, with the exception of the kid, like is under incredible amounts of sleep deprivation yes <laughs> like and so yeah you have to wonder like yeah mm-hmm. like, isolation and sleep deprivation is that's what's causing these hallucinations or whatever yeah, yeah. exactly and it never tells you like mm-hmm. one way or another but it also it provides evidence for both factors again which could seem like it's contradicting itself right but it never feels that way to me specifically right. it just keeps everything super duper vague again kind of like overall jack's feelings and the fact Mm -hmm. that like whenever it comes to his own family how much he truly loves them because with wendy it's questionable like whether the love is still there between them Mm -hmm. i'm I'm pointing to probably not so much if he's willing to talk like that but with danny he speaks of him pretty fondly and he's like it was one time I heard him. That's it. I mm. love that little well, bastard. Well, even, yeah. yeah, exactly. Whenever he starts talking about him in the first place, he, <laughs> he says he loves him. But there's those little hints of, like, you could tell he'd be violent again. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Where, where he's like, yeah, I love the little bastard, you know? Yeah. And he's like, wow, interesting choice of words. You know, and he does that mm-hmm. twice. I can't remember the second thing he calls him. But yeah, he, he says it in sort of like, a, I would never hurt him. You yeah. know, much, or like he says it in a way where it's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and again, it just kind of, it makes, you follow him down the path and you understand why he's going around killing his family now, specifically. Because basically, the hotel has convinced him that's what he needs to do. Right. Um, Which, again, a lot of people in real life go through something like that, where they have, like, this unnatural force telling them to do something. And in their head, they're like, you're right. You know what? Yeah. I might as well, yeah. Um, And so I think, like... Again, like, they could have easily taken some of the details of it, like the fact that the family was killed. It could have been a throwaway line just Mm -hmm. foreshadowing what's going to happen. But it plays a bigger part in it overall because, again, you get to see, like, the twin girls. Those are the daughters that got Mm -hmm. killed by the dad. Technically, asterisks, not twins. I said twins in the beginning. I realized when we watched this movie, he specifically says they're age 8 and 10. Ah, twins. okay. But they're in mm-hmm. identical <clears throat> outfits. Yes, and they look pretty dadgum yeah. similar. <laughs> so yes, uh, sisters killed in the hallway. And again, like, it just works out in the film's favor overall selling everything and all the characters and everything else. Um, yeah, this film just has so much to dissect and dig into specifically. Um, but it is... Uh, I love Jack Nicholson. I will say probably if I had to pinpoint his weakest moment is whenever <clears throat> Danny manages to lose him in the snow maze and he's mm-hmm. like, Danny! Yeah. He's, so he's just, just like co- a... incoherent screaming. Yeah, he just becomes a caveman. Mm-hmm. But I also like it a ton. So mm-hmm. that's just the weird thing about the film is like, okay, it's a little goofy, but I like it. Yeah. So, uh, with the movie uh, The Shining, um, obviously, I've mentioned several times before that it was a novel written by Stephen King, and so, I know you haven't read The Shining, right? I haven't. Okay, so, I, I haven't fully read it either. Um, it's been one of those, like, books I need to get to specifically, I just never get to at all. Yeah. Um, but here, here's the interesting thing. So, obviously, um, it sounds like you really like The uh, Shining, 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like it a lot. Um, so guess who's one of the people that really, 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 I mean, really dislikes it? Who? Uh, Stephen King. Oh, the so, big, yeah. I imagine it's a lot different than. Oh his yeah, book. yeah. It it is completely different. So. Whenever it comes to being a faithful adaptation, mm-hmm. from what I've heard of the bullet points, because I saw like a quick review of the mini series or made for movie TV that Stephen King did for The Shining, mm-hmm. almost as a retaliation, just like, no, this is... <laughs> this is what it would look like if I did it. Yeah, exactly. Because um, Stephen King actually sent uh, Stanley Kubrick a lot of scripts and stuff specifically, just being like, hey, uh, here's what I do. And mm-hmm. he just turned it away. But Stephen King would receive calls early in the morning, like super early from Stanley Kubrick, just grilling him about questions about stuff really? specifically. So, you know, again, that's just kind of Stanley Kubrick just kind of mm. had uh, unethical ways of making films, yeah, but to say the least, can't... I, there's a little mm-hmm. bit to say about like even famous authors, like mm-hmm. that, that would probably still happen. They could probably mm-hmm. still get ignored anyways, if anyone else was yeah. making that movie, because it really like, Honestly, J.K. Rowling's one of the first people that, like, mm-hmm. had a significant say on how their books were added to mm-hmm. the screen. Because usually you just, like, you sign away the rights, and then it's like, go fuck yourself, this is my movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's how it's been forever, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that, that's interesting that, yeah, that, that two-sided nature of, like... I don't care what you write me, but I'm going to call you in the middle of the morning. Yeah, it would just be kind of like random. And I think it was just Stanley Kubrick just, you know, his thought process Mm -hmm. is because, I mean, you watch the movie. I mean, we've, you know, we've talked endlessly about it. People have specifically. And so um, there's obviously a lot depth to it, but just the amount of like stuff he had to do but it is kind of weird because he's like i don't want your help but i want your help Mm. and so with that kind of just toxic nature that stanley kubrick kind of had towards stephen king because here's the interesting thing Uh, i actually saw an interview with stephen uh king because i actually like him a lot i think he's kind of a chill dude even if he has opinions with the shining um, I, I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was like Conan or somebody specifically, but they asked him like, with The Shining, do you think it's a bad film because it's a bad adaptation or it's just a bad film? And he's like, it's just a bad film. Wow. I don't get it. So it's not even like wow. he just despises the movie and he's, he's calmed down about it after years and years because i'm sure like with the fan base that salty yeah because i think for him it was one of those things that writing it he had like certain aspects in mind about who the characters were and everything like i believe that um i want to say like it was either jack torrance was either his dad or it was actually himself because he had kids specifically Stephen did Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like a self-reflection of himself Mm -hmm. in the book um because apparently Stephen King had a terrible relationship with his father which is why I'm thinking I believe he said that Jack Torrance was kind of inspired by himself Mm -hmm. again just kind of that overall kind of protector kind of going against the people he's kind of meant to protect specifically. Yeah. And so I feel like, again, with uh, how Jack Torrance's portrayal is, it's not very, like, it's likable, but not like, oh, he seems like an upstanding gentleman with good morals. He's kind of starts a movie off as a jerk 
mm-hmm. and then goes there. So it could be just the fact that it took like the material that had special meaning to Stephen King, and it seemed like it kind of got reformed into something else. Like it just got slaughtered, and Stanley Kubrick just kind of formed it into its own Frankenstein-like creation. Yeah. Um. So that's what I think. But it is interesting just to see Stephen King just. Did, yeah, straight how, up say it's a bad movie. How does he feel about Because there's been lots of really, really critically acclaimed titles that were adaptations of Stephen King novels. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what he, he feels about, like, Green Mile or, mm-hmm. like, a Shawshank Redemption. Or... Yeah, he, he kind of has, like, mixed stuff uh, specifically. Like, I know whenever uh, they came out with the uh, new It films uh-huh. and stuff, uh, both films, uh, he was very happy with how they went about adapting it, even though there were changes from the book mm-hmm. specifically. The so, they're very hit or miss, mm-hmm. but he, he, I don't think there's any film he despises more than The Shining. The Shining is just the epitome of everything he hates. And he probably just fucking hates Stanley Kubrick. Stop yeah, calling dude, I, I think he really does. <laughs> I, I genuinely think, because, I mean... It's a, probably a long list of people that have personal vendettas against that guy. But. No, for sure. And so I think it's kind of interesting because you have a film that's like highly acclaimed and everything. Because it's one thing if... Uh, an author doesn't like the movie mm-hmm. that they adapted because they just did everything wrong and the audience hates it as well. Like, it's just a bad adaptation. Right, right. But whenever you have a m- movie that takes a book as inspiration mm-hmm. and not really adapts it, but, I mean, obviously we talked about how The Shining was kind of a mixed bag whenever yeah. it came out. Like, people, like, critique the hell out of it. But then later on, it's now considered like one of the greatest masterpieces in cinematic history. So it's just kind of interesting whenever it comes to the idea of adapting a book for film and just having something like this to where the author just straight up despises it and hates it. It's far from the worst an adaptation could be. It's it's way much on the good side of what an adaptation could I there's so many funny stories of like um like Gary Paulson. I'm pretty sure it was Hatchet or one of his famous novels that he wrote mm-hmm. that somehow got turned into Disney's sled dogs with snow dogs. Yeah, yeah. With Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> and he's just like, well I, he's like I just sold the rights away or whatever. He like wrote a screenplay, sold the rights away and it just like completely changed everything about it pretty much mm-hmm. except for there are some snow dogs in in alaska running yeah or whatever like that's pretty much the only thing that stayed the same it suddenly turned into a story of like a dentist trying oh to go, god know? i you're and sending like, mad flashbacks yeah, <laughs> and like yeah so like at least you didn't get snow dogs you know <laughs> like it's like a it's like a passionate story that was like very directly tied to the the content of your novel it's not like just loosely inspired and you you have to suffer through a made for tv disney movie but oh yeah no i i think it is just interesting how that process goes and so that's why i think something like this is very unique to happen where the author despises it but people have grown to sincerely love it Mm -hmm. but I think it also comes that, you know, they're both pretty strong 
uh, minded. And the thing I can respect about Stephen King is that you didn't even know he hated The Shining right. at all. And so it it's one of those things that he just doesn't like talking about it yeah. at all. So, and he doesn't like try to start up stuff where he's like, no, I want this film removed. He's just like, I absolutely hate it, but True. I'm moving on. Um, and I, I figured, I found this quote here. Um, I, I figured you would like, he's like, one of the issues he had was Jack Torrance. It's like, uh, when we first see Jack Nicholson, he's in the office of Mr. Ullman, the manager of the hotel. And you know, then he's crazy as a shit house rat. <laughs> <laughs> and all he does is get crazier. Um, and I actually saw a video on this from Eyepatch Wolf, uh, where, you know, he's talking about The Shining specifically. And Stephen King actually hit a line, which I agree with uh, Super Eyepatch Wolf, where he had the line whenever the movie came out, he was like, The Shining is a film that's meant to hurt you. Hmm. Which I, I would definitely agree. It's not a feel-good film oh, by yeah. any means of the word, but I think it's definitely interesting just looking as a whole whenever it comes to that so uh i definitely wanted to hit that point because i feel like it's an important point to discuss especially dealing with adapting and it becoming something else but actually it's even more than what we could have ever expected yeah 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 it's there's definitely a lot to look at this film overall and the way it spirals out of control and all those little moments like Again, like you mentioned before, whenever Wendy is, like, finally able to see what he's typing there, and it's, like, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Which, by the way, I guess Stanley Kubrick filmed multiple different versions of it for foreign countries, so that way it would translate well, <laughs> specifically. So, um, yeah, the more you know on that one, but, like, it just works so well, because even though, again, I feel so bad about Shelley Duvall shooting that bad scene... 127 times and you could tell the distress in her face right. specifically she looks exhausted but i think mm -hmm. that's the point yeah, yes she's... exactly and they just both do so well in the fact and they sell it mm -hmm. they absolutely sell the heck out of it um and so just with this film i mean obviously we've talked this long about it already there's just so much to look at and love about this film and people are still going to talk about this film to the end of the days i'm pretty oh, dead yeah. gum sure yeah, yeah, on yeah. that front um before wrapping up this wonderful chaotic episode kind of like the shining uh -huh, oh, um no. is there anything else you would like to mention since we are in the free range zone free range pick eggs. any spoil spoilers uh crops we got going on over there um uh uh uh, uh, uh. She could totally fit through that window. She just needed to try a little harder. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking through, like, maybe bust the window out. You know what I do want to mention? Ooh. While we're just in the things that don't matter territory, I want all the paintings that were in the head chef's uh, uh Oh, yeah, those, those were terrific. <laughs> yeah, like the first one you see, the lady with a huge afro. Dude, the afro is as big as her body almost. Yeah. It's crazy. And just butt-ass naked. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to just fill my house with those and see what people say when they come in. Mm -hmm. I don't really have the complexion to pull that off, but... Uh, it's a vibe, and I kind of want—I kind of want no. a big Afro naked lady room in my house. And it's so funny because it could have just not had that in there. Because again, he's Scadman Crother's character mm -hmm. is never sold as like you know, oh. I'm for the ladies type deal. Yeah, he's, no, yeah, he's not. But they just have it there. He has one right at the 
foot of the bed. I one love at his whole house. Head. He's in like a little cabin looking mm-hmm. thing, and he's like, there's like an ibex on his wall, and mm-hmm. like, it's just weird. Like it gives him some sort of character that's like not necessary, but again, like uh-huh. it's, it's still like nice details to throw in. He's he, no, <laughs> that makes sense that he lives in a place like that. He's a head chef at a fancy fancy hotel that mm-hmm. serves you know presidents and stuff. Of course, he's gonna be a little eccentric in his home. Uh huh. Yeah. No, so I think that's a funny point to mention but yes and everybody that... wears wool ties too what happened to wool ties bring them back i know uh, just bring them back anyway um, just, that's all i wanted to mention yeah <laughs> no you're good you're good um i do like the one song they do include uh whenever they're playing uh, at the ball scene and then at the very end of the movie mm-hmm. i feel like it's very appropriate for the film yeah. so another major kudos over to mr stanley kubrick for uh throwing that one in right it just feels old it feels like old money you know what i mean it's kind of classy that that sort of ballroom music that they put in but it's also fucking like creepy too no exactly um but yeah i i think that's pretty much a lot of the points we could talk about again it's just it's one of those films that I could just keep talking on and on about. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of other points yeah. to mention, but I feel like keep I've going. mentioned overall the uh, points that I do want to make. Great film, great cast, great pretty much everything for me. Definite high recommendation. Will always be probably one of my favorite films of all time, period. Go watch it. Yeah, definitely go watch it. Please, por favor. All right. Yeah, so Excuse are you... Me. Yeah, yeah. Tickle my nipples. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um so we're actually going I, I yeah so i actually took time to really like analyze and look at what episode we're going to do next uh-huh. and i believe the next episode we should do is another film that appeared the very next year in uh 1981 what? and uh it's definitely not as uh quite abstract as uh the shining is specifically but it is a, another slasher film uh, that maybe you have or have not heard about, depending on it. Hmm. And it also focuses on a particular holiday. 80 slasher holiday, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh... It's coming up kind of soonish, but not that soonish. The Martin Luther King Day Killer. And a little further. <laughs> St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, close, close. Because uh, we're going to be watching uh, My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um guys thank you guys so much for listening to this uh longer than usual episode of uh popping the scary and we will see you all again next time when we're popping the scary <laughs> with m- my bloody valentine <laughs> all right <laughs> oh, you just got nuked. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube, CastBox, or iTunes platforms to stay up to date when new episodes drop. To see what Aaron and I are up to, check out our respective Twitter accounts. For me, it is at ColkirkVA, and for Aaron, it is at AnimalGameDev. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast. We'll speak to you all again next time when we're popping the scary.